You're listening to Artistic Finance, show 141. On today's show, I chat with insurance agent Heather Zenzen and circus performer Lynn Lunny about insurance for magicians and circus performers. We discuss certificates of insurance, the law of large numbers, various insurance providers, the annual cost for low-risk and high-risk policies, and insurance for individuals versus insurance for companies, studios, or property. This episode is one of several episodes we have with magicians. To hear the rest of those, visit our YouTube page for a playlist of the eight magic-themed episodes that we have. For today's episode, I've created a workbook for the insurance survey results, including the commentary and the links to each insurance provider that is attached to this episode on our Patreon page. Without further ado, let's get to the show. You're listening to Artistic Finance Podcast, where your host, Ethan Steimel, interviews successful artists, leaders, and investors to help educate and inspire artists to grow their wealth. Welcome and thank you for listening. I'm your host, Ethan Steimel, and today I welcome insurance expert Heather Zenson and performer Lynn Lunny to the show. We are recording this on February 20th, 2023. So first things first for you two, um, can you tell us a bit about yourself? And I'll start with Heather. Yeah, sure. Uh, my name's Heather Zenzen. Uh, I am the president of Specialty Insurance Agency. Um, I've worked here, well, stepping back, my grandfather founded the agency in 1992. He was an American family insurance agent, but he was also a clown on the side. And um, clowns were starting to need to have commercial general liability coverage to work events. And so he started the company and got a policy going for him and his clown friends. My mom came on board a few years later, and she expanded the coverage to um, what we now cover now, which is basically any kind of performer across the United States, except for hypnotists. We won't do hypnotists. Um, and yeah, I came on board in 2020 as she was preparing for retirement, learning the business, and now I'm here running the family business. Fantastic. All right, Lynn, can you tell us a little about yourself? Uh, my name is Lynn Lunny. I started performing as a circus artist in my 20s. I actually didn't find circus until my I was in my 20s and I lived in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. And so most of my like training and performing for the first half of my career was on the East Coast in Philly, um, all throughout the East Coast, New York, all of that good stuff. Um, and then about six, seven years ago, I moved back to Minnesota, which is where I grew up um, and was coaching at a school here and performing. And um met Heather actually as a coach of her children. Um, and so I've, I've coached to know her children very well. And, and she, we just kind of connected and she brought me on part-time at the insurance agency. So I still perform. Um, I own a studio in Minneapolis um, with my business partner, Kristen. And I also help out with specialty insurance, um, which I've also been purchasing for many a years as a performer too. So kind of all comes around. <laughs> all right. Fantastic. Okay. So just to clarify, you're both in Minnesota. Mm -hmm. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Awesome. Great, great state. I hear um, everybody I know in Minnesota <laughs> is they're my favorite people. 
Um, <laughs> That's nice. <laughs> um, all right. So now your creative personalities, Heather, let's circle back to you. What is a live event that you like to experience as an audience member? Both of my children are circus performers. Um, my oldest is insured by our company and yes, she pays full price. Um, but yeah, I like going to circus shows. I like seeing our clients perform. I was just at a gig that Lynn was in a couple months ago, right before Christmas. Um, yeah, I just, I love seeing, I love going, I, we went and saw a bunch of street performers in Key West a few months ago. I just love seeing um, people doing original um, acts that a normal human being is not capable of doing. I understand. I totally understand. Some something that they have to train for, and it's like, wow, I couldn't do that. Or if I if I could do that, it would take me quite a while to learn that. Yeah, right. Like my my oldest, she specializes in aerial rope. I've never been able to even climb a rope, not even in gym class as a kid. Like so. <laughs> It's crazy to me. All right, Lynn, what is a live event that you like to experience as an audience member? I really, I like circus shows, of course. That's a given. But I also really enjoy um, live performing arts in the music realm and in dance and movement. I just saw a really wonderful, like, kind of experimental acapella choral number that was really interesting. So I really like going to, like, smaller productions of things that are crossing music and interdisciplinary kind of acts. It was like an acapella choral group with a dancer and then a a DJ kind of like he was playing different sound bites and stuff. So I kind of like some of the experimental theater and dance performances is some of my favorite stuff. Yeah. Totally. Not that uh, America's Got Talent is like the end all and be all for things. <laughs> but in the few clips that I've watched, I feel like some of the super cool or the ones that go the longest or people like the favorite are, are ones that like mix different things. Yeah, it's kind of that interdisciplinary. They use the lighting, the sound in unique ways. I kind of like that. Okay, now financial personalities. Heather, are you good or bad with money? I think I'm pretty good good with money. My husband probably disagrees with me, but I'm in charge of the money in the house and we've made it this far. So then he probably agrees, I suspect, <laughs> if you take care of it. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Lynn, are you good or bad with money? Oh man, a complicated question. I am way better. I used to be not great, but to become a performer and an artist, have a long career, you have to become good with money. So I, I'm better. It's a learning. I get better and better. So I feel pretty comfortable with my ability with money at this point. That was not always the case. Not always the case. But then last year you decided to get serious. So yeah, just last year. <laughs> <laughs> Amazing. All right. So we're going to talk about liability insurance because I had a listener reach out named Bill Rios and he said, Hey, I need to purchase some of this. Have you covered this yet? And I said, nope, I haven't, but let me get on that. Now, his background and my background is both lighting. That's where we're coming. So we're actually going to do a whole separate episode on liability insurance for lighting designers, etc. In doing this, I put out a survey and I just asked my contacts. I said, hey, who has liability insurance? Where do you get it from? Just because of who I know, the respondents, I had 32 people respond and 25% of the people were magicians or circus performers. So I wasn't expecting those answers, <laughs> but I got them and I thought, okay, well, maybe I better do uh, an episode about that for performers. So here we are. 
of the people that responded, specialty insurance kept coming up. I'd say, you know, what's your provider? And it was specialty insurance. So that's why I reached out to Heather because I thought, well, why don't I just get specialty insurance here to explain it? Because that seems like the only place that performers go for insurance. (laughs) And here's one quote from somebody. They said, the International Brotherhood of Magicians offers a package. I turn it down every year because specialty insurance is the best. So here we go. Heather, first question. What is liability insurance for performers and uh, what type of performers need it? Liability insurance, just so everybody is clear, that pays for damages or bodily injury to others. So if you're setting up an aerial rig and that rig scratches a venue's floor, that would likely be a covered claim. Or if a patron trips over that rigging and breaks their ankle, that is likely to be a covered claim. So it's not if you're performing and you fall off an aerial apparatus and break your leg, that's your health insurance. That's not covered. And also um, other performers that you're performing with. So say Lynn is performing a gig with her partner and Lynn drops her partner, that wouldn't be a covered claim. But it's other people that are not part of your act that would be damaged or venues property damage. That's what liability insurance is. Who needs it? If you're out there performing for the public, you should probably have it. Some events and venues are going to require that you have it because they have to have event insurance for the entire event. Say you're working a state fair, that fair has insurance for the event. However, it's usually a requirement that anybody who's coming on to the event and performing has their own coverage because say somebody trips over your aerial rig, the event insurance doesn't want to pay for that claim. They want your insurance to pay for that claim. And that's a way for the event insurance to keep their premiums down and keep prices down on said event. A lot of times people get insurance because they're suddenly working events where it's required and it's starting to be required more and more. But honestly, if you're working at all with the public, you should consider having liability insurance. Freak accidents occur all the time. I see them. They are weird things that happen with our clientele. It has the propensity to be financially devastating if something were to happen. We're talking hundreds of thousands of dollars in claims I've seen paid out just for weird things happening. Like a pogo stick, somebody losing control of it and it flipping through the air and hitting somebody in the head. Ah, pogo stick. Yeah, because I was thinking like (laughs) with some people like who have giant rigs or people who have entire circuses of their own, they're going to damage something. If they set up in a parking lot, a pole is going to drop. They're going to cause a hole or something. Those people obviously need insurance, especially because if your rig falls somewhere and breaks. And a lot of performers perform in super cool venues, you know, where people want to be. So they're like nicer and more risk of like a scratch going wrong and then someone getting upset about it. So I see, I see that, but then I'm thinking like street performers who like, just say you do card tricks. Like if you're out on the street doing card tricks, do you need liability insurance? Cause to me, it seems like not likely that something's going to go wrong there. It's not likely. I mean, there's a lot of people that are doing performances all the time and nothing weird happens, but say you're using a microphone and there's an amp or there's feedback and there's a musician in your, in your audience and it causes hearing damage that's a big claim that you're going to pay out. Or in Key West, which it's really cool, the performers set up a perimeter with rope. So, you know, everybody that's watching the street performers 
there's a safe perimeter around them. But what if one of those juggling pins gets away from you and beams somebody in the head? You just don't know what's going to happen. And I might be jumping the gun to a question later on. I'm thinking, okay, somebody with an aerial rig that's, you know, has a lot of setup, et cetera, versus somebody just juggling in the street. Is the insurance premium or the the amount they're going to pay for insurance going to be vastly different? Is there going to be a logical solution for somebody who's doing a small thing versus somebody who's wanting more coverage? No, um, we have everybody that's in a group by law for insurance has to pay the same price as another person that's in that group. So we have compartmentalized our performers into two groups. Group one is everybody that you would think of as I'm throwing up air quotes here, low risk. And that's going to be your mimes and your clowns and your magicians. Then we have group two, which is a little bit higher risk. And that's going to be your fire performers and aerialists for the most part. It doesn't matter what you're doing. You could be doing everything in group one and everything in group two, and you're just going to pay the group two price. There's no stacking of anything. And it doesn't matter like if you're an LLC and S corp, you have a company versus just an individual, or is this just for individuals? The performer insurance policy that we're talking about right now is just for individuals. So if you're part of a fire performing troop, each person in that troop would need to have a policy to be covered. We do have a new program that we just acquired. Um, We just started servicing it in June, and that covers the business but it only um, will ensure select performing groups. So say like a troop of clowns or a troop of dancers, DJs, bands, lighting designers, and event planners, those types of groups. That policy ensures the company. It's run a little differently. So everybody gets their own quote and their own policy based off of their risk. Amazing. All right. So this is just some of the respondents of the survey. I said, what is your reason for having insurance? So You should have some accidents happen required by clients and venues at times required by parks, corporate gigs, and some additional venues to protect myself from audience members on stage, getting injured, having personal property damaged during a performance, and also many venues and agents require it. So that checks out with everything you just said. (laughs) (laughs) All right, Lynn. So I don't want to age you. You don't have to give us your age unless you really want to. But you said you you got to circus in your 20s. Presumably now you're past your 20s. At what point in your career did you get insurance? And has the sort of policy or the reason for it changed, you know, up to where you are now? I started getting insurance pretty quick. The when I started performing outside of the studio that I was training in. So the the very first gig that I got booked for required insurance. I don't even know if the gig actually required, but my partner that I was working with at the time, the other artist said, in order to work and get hired, you need to have insurance. Like it was just like, kind of just part of the deal. Like if you want to be a professional performer, you need to have liability insurance. And at the time they were like, there's this one place and I could kind of find it on the internet. And I had to mail a check with like a printout to someplace in Wisconsin. And I was like, all right. Because it was just the insurance that my fellow circus performers used, but it was pretty immediate. And it was just like any other sort of job or business where you just kind of incur a cost of a costume or having your own equipment, knowing how a carabiner works. You have to have insurance. It just felt like this very just like this is part of the deal of your contract. So I got it very early on and it just became, to be honest, I didn't really know why I had it. 
Like I didn't really. I mean, I don't know. I was like, I don't know. I'll write the check. It was like kind of a lot of money, but I was. It was an annual fee. Really, in the grand scheme of things, wasn't a lot when you broke it down into like a monthly. And I didn't know exactly besides the fact that if I wanted to perform in events or in shows, I needed it. So it was worth buying for me. And just so you don't have to give me numbers, but I love them. Was it like twelve hundred dollars a year, and you just paid that every year? No, it's like uh, it started probably like upper like two eighty something around. I don't remember where it started. It's like around like two fifty to three. It's up to about three hundred now, but it wasn't that much less in the past. So not that much, right? I mean, for like a twenty-something-year-old performer, like it felt like a few hundred dollars is a lot in a, a lump sum. But for me, it weighed out because, especially the first the gig I was getting, paid enough to be like, well, I don't want to turn down that pay just because of this. So that the trade-off was worth it for me. Um, and I was like, this is one-time fee a month or a year. I was like, okay, I can handle it. Sounds super reasonable to me, never having had to had to have this insurance. Okay, so you've been paying roughly $300 a year forever and still are for performing. You said you have a training school in Minnesota. Do you have insurance for that? Is that a whole separate ballgame? Yeah, that has to be separate. Specialty doesn't do teaching. It's just the the performance. And so you have to get like a teaching liability. And when I was freelance coaching, I had my own policy. They're actually pretty difficult to find. Teaching insurance can be a little bit more difficult, especially as an individual instructor. It's a little bit better as a studio. Like our studio insurance will cover a student's performing in our space. If I want to hire my student to do a show outside of this space, then I I urge them to get specialty insurance because especially because usually they're on the track to want to perform other places. So I usually kind of explain the necessity of it. But the the studio is a separate insurance that we get because it kind of is based off of the height of the ceilings, the square footage, and that sort of thing. It has a little bit of different things to the policy. And we get like our inland marine through there for our studio for our equipment and stuff like that, like coverage for our equipment. Okay. Amazing. Heather, so you said that there's like groups, you know, by law, like certain groups all have to pay the same amount. Since everyone's paying the same amount, what is the coverage limit for those policies? And sort of like how much protection is it covering for claims or accidents, etc? We actually have for performers, we have two different coverage limits. Um, Our base policy, the one that Lynn has, the one that most people have, um, pays out up to $1 million per occurrence. So that's per claim. Um, And then it's $2 million for the general aggregate. So that's the most the policy will pay out in a year. And that includes different kinds of coverages like products, completed operations, personal and advertising injury, on and on and on. Yeah, that's about 300 a year. Group one is 284 right now. Group two for aerialists and fire performance is 306. And those prices are staying flat for the next year, which we're really happy about. We do have what we call option two limits, which is a little higher. Usually people only get option two if they're working a venue that needs those higher limits, like SeaWorld. They want really high limits of coverage. And that would pay up to $3 million in a claim and $5 million for the general aggregate. And then that's more in the lower 400s to 450 range. And those prices go up every year. I anticipate they will continually go up every year. And we don't set the prices, our carrier does. And the reason the prices go up is because that group is smaller. There's not a ton of people in that group. 
And if you look at the loss ratio, the money coming in versus the claims that they're paying out, it ends up being flat for the carrier. They're not really making any money off of that option too, especially when you consider they have to hire claims examiners, they have to pay court fees, all of that insurance stuff people don't really think about. And just so I know, $1 million per claim, $2 million the aggregate, meaning you could do two claims. If you were very unlucky in one year, you could do two claims per policy, basically? Oh, you can make as many claims as you want. The most the policy will pay out in a year is $2 million. Oh, I see. You'd have to have two really, really, really bad ones. <laughs> yeah, or or even like seven still pretty bad claims to pay out $2 million. We, I don't think we've ever had that. Knock on wood. In the, what, 31 years we've been in business? I feel like you would remember if that had happened. (laughs) Yeah, right. Um, Okay, so I once had a car, and I once had three incidents within a year, uh, and I got kicked off my insurance. Does that happen for specialty insurance? Like, if you have your really bad year, are you pretty much, are you going to be like, no, we're not going to cover you next year? We do have people that were non-renewing for Inland Marine, which is the business personal property coverage. So like the stuff you use for your business, because they make claims every single year. It's just kind of like, okay, we have to assess the risk. Your risk is really high right now when you're claiming thousands of dollars in losses every single year. So we'll have people that we non-renew for that. I haven't personally run across anybody being non-renewed for liability coverage, which is the base coverage that we're talking about today. But it could happen. Usually those decisions come from the carrier. They look at, okay, this person's had so many claims, X, Y, Z. We feel like their risk is too high. We don't insure them anymore. Or it could be like a whole group of people. We used to insure hypnotists. There were a ton of claims for hypnotists. I don't know exactly what was happening. They would tell somebody they were a dog and then people continually thought they were a dog for weeks afterwards. I'm not sure. But the carrier came back and was like, okay, you can either drop hypnotists, all of them, or we're going to drop you and not write you a policy anymore. All right. Interesting. I never expected the hypnotists to be the problems here. (laughs) I really didn't. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So, I mean, if like, if we just start having a ton of fire performers start people on fire, I'm guessing they'll come to us and be like, you know what? We can't ensure that anymore. Fire performers and aerialists are actually very, very safe. Because the people that are going to get hurt in those acts are the performers themselves, likely. Since performers are so unique, hence the specialty insurance in the title, are there things that are like excluded from these policies? Because they all seem pretty general to me. It's sort of like if an accident happens, the coverage is going to apply. Are there any big things other than hypnotists that things wouldn't be covered? Like, is, is this an issue or is it usually when there's a claim it's covered? Okay, so the big things that we don't cover are um, rides and attractions, animals, but there's a little asterisk by the animals because a magician's doves or rabbits are okay. Uh, Athletic participation, so you can't have a spectator be climbing your aerial equipment. Coaching and instruction, fireworks, pyrotechnics. Oh, and then like we have to have a 30 foot height limit. So if we have a tightrope walker who wants to go across Niagara Falls, that's not going to be covered. Um, there is also, this is for like a smaller performer. This isn't for Aerosmith. You know, it's not for a huge famous performer. So if we're, if we see your income being reported as really high as a performer, performing income only, 
then you probably need to pay more than $300 a year for insurance. And so that would be a whole separate company from you or you have separate policies that Aerosmith could come to you with? We could probably quote that coverage, but we it would be like a whole application that you'd have to fill out. And then I'd have to go to the broker and they'd have to go to the carrier and generate quotes. It's not something where I can go, this is how much it would be like we can with our performer policy. And you mentioned Inland Marine, which is sort of equipment stuff. So this performer insurance is separate from that. And then people would need a separate, like if they actually want to protect their gear, their aerial rig, et cetera, that would have to be a separate policy that's Inland Marine. It, we call it a rider. So it rides on the liability insurance. And it's just, it's like an extra premium you pay to add that coverage. There's a few riders that we have and what in Limerine or business personal property coverage is one of them. And just in general, are most people only doing the liability for themselves? Or does almost everybody have a rider attached? Most people just have liability. Fire performers will often have what's called an assistant. So that's somebody that will help you know, maintain the crowd distance. Magicians often will too, because they'll have people come up on stage and you really should have somebody help them down the stairs. They don't break their ankle or fall off stage. So there's assistant coverage. A lot of people do get the Inland Marine just to protect their gear from theft or damage. A lot of people just get the liability coverage as well. Well, this is also something that I got in my responses for the survey. I was surprised that some performers don't have liability insurance. I like had to read it again. I was like, wait, what? And they all like they only have health insurance. So I'm, I would say there's definitely some performers out there that don't have liability insurance. Oh, yeah. Which seems wild to me. <laughs> <laughs> but, but that being said, I've been lighting for 10 years and I don't have a policy for lighting. If it were required, et cetera, for something, I would totally go get it. And I've had equipment broken that I was like, I wish I were insured because it would be nice. <laughs> Instead, I'm going to either have to have it broken for now or I'm going to have to fix it myself, which is a bummer. So I say that's ridiculous that a performer wouldn't have insurance, but then there's me. <laughs> so, um, so it sounded like everyone's paying the same and your your child is paying full price, you made a point to point out. <laughs> so I was going to say, are there any discounts available? Like, is there, can you shop around for insurance or is it pretty much set? With us, it's set. Like the price is the price. There's a practice in insurance called rebating. So if you give people discounts, you can actually lose your license. You know, if you hear other insurers saying, oh, you can bundle and get a discount, that means they're just putting you putting you in a different group. Like instead of being in a group that just has auto coverage, you now are in a group that has auto and home. And it would be a little less than just buying those two policies separate. That's how they can get around it. But we just have liability coverage. You know, we're not insuring homes or whatever. And Lynn, throughout the years, you've had the personal, you've had the Inland Marine, and you've had the teaching insurance. Have you ever made a claim? Luckily, I have not had to make a claim ever on any of those. Um, as uh, Heather said, I feel like it's kind of interesting because circus is aerial is seen as high risk, but um, it's mostly high risk to the performer because it's kind of my professional career that's on the line if something goes wrong in a setting. That could mean the difference between me coming back to that event space 
to perform again if my gear messes up their floor. So I have pads for our aerial rig that we have all the time, you know, like, because it's a matter of us getting hired back a lot of times or being able to come back. So I have never, knock on wood, had to make a claim. I usually try to make sure I'm very conscious of the space I'm in. So yeah, luckily, and my equipment has stayed, I've lost things over the years. And um, I did not have an inland marine policy on my personal gear. Um, And so I kind of had to eat those costs. I don't think, especially when I was younger, I understood what an inland marine policy was because I just didn't, I just didn't do the research. Now that I know what it is, I'm like, oh, that would have been nice to have because I wouldn't have just had to eat the cost of that silk that got ruined by the rigging setup, you know, or because somebody grabbed it or, you know, luckily though, had a very, very boring career in that regard. Well, the Inland Marine, that's an interesting thing to mention, because in my survey for the lighting people, you know, somebody added in, you know, Inland Marine, like you should, if you have equipment, go ahead and get that. And I always think in my brain, I'm like, well, I only have 5000 ish of equipment. But that being said, you know, if it were something reasonable, like $300 a year, I'm just using that as an example, maybe it's probably different. But it's like, well, the gear that broke, I still haven't repaired it now going on a year. (laughs) And it just because it's going to cost me like $800 to repair. Anyway, I'm just glad we're pointing out the Inland Marine because that is something that's important of, yeah, you may only have $3,000 of gear, but you know, what's the cost benefit analysis of, of covering that if it goes missing? And it's also important to your job. Like you need the lighting gear to do the lighting, just like I need the equipment to do, you know? So it's kind of interesting. You're like, it's fine. This part is fine. But then you're like, oh, wait, there's a cost analysis that you kind of have to do on the importance of that to your job too. Um, also, Lynn, you mentioned that you have students and at some point you say, hey, you need to probably get insurance at this point. I'm thinking of like performers that are performing with circus groups and presumably the group has insurance. But at what point does like an individual performer need it? Let's say they're they're only playing to do group things. And so they think, well, I'm with Masters of Illusion, therefore Masters of Illusion policy is going to cover me if something goes wrong. Is that correct thinking or is it sort of as pretty much as you're professionally performing people need to be getting their own insurance. Yeah. If you're performing, I don't know as much about like some of the other, like for aerialists, there's very few insurance options and it is solely individual. And I've had conversations because some of my students maybe don't want to pay the price of it um, because they're not making enough money performing this one cabaret at a local venue that requires insurance. And I have the conversation with, well, like, A, we talk about artist pay, like the importance of getting paid as an artist and advocating for for artist pay. Um, And this is why professionals talk about getting paid for the work they do is because there's a cost to your business, like running a business, just being a performer is a business and running a business. So there's certain costs that your business incurs. And so you kind of have to take that into account. And so I really talk about it right away. Um, I think it's really important. I think it sets a performer apart professionally too. When a venue comes and says, we need these things from you. And as a performer, you have them ready and available. It shows that you're, you're it's a certain level of professionalism that I think is really valuable if it's something they want to pursue. Um, so it's a good question for them too. If they're not wanting to pay for the insurance, then I think it's a good question of whether this is the the right business for them to go into. And maybe they just want to keep it as a recreational fun thing that they can do in the spaces that are like they're covered under. 
Yeah, I think that's great. I will also say that some of the survey results were from um, what I'll call amateurs. And some of the amateurs have their own insurance, just for the record. A lot of them. Yeah, I have a lot of um, friends and students that do because as an amateur, they have full-time jobs, but they still want to perform with their with their trapeze number at a local cabaret and have some fun. And and they so they do get insured and that's that's part of their recreational hobby fee, just like somebody would have a gym membership or something like that. So I actually have a lot of recreational students that do have insurance still, or they do have insurance. And just because getting paid more is a difficult, complicated conversation, but the reality is the only power you have is to say, I'm not performing. But you can use that in this cabaret example. Let's say that the cabaret only has $100 to pay you for performing and your insurance policy is $300. And you're thinking, well, blah, blah. if you're trying to get paid more, you go to the cabaret and you say, look, I have to pay $300 for insurance. You want to pay me $100, which is cool, but I need you to pay one sixth of my policy. So I need you to add $50. And if you can do that, I'll perform for you. And if not, I'm sorry, I'm going to have to pass on this one. That's my sort of advice and maybe a technique to get paid a little bit more because you have to have overhead people have to understand it. So yeah, I totally agree. And have um, used that as like a negotiation as an understanding of how much it costs me to do my business with clients or venues to kind of get them to understand. So I I've, I've definitely recommend that too. Interrupting the show to mention a couple things. A reminder that our Financial Independence Book Club is meeting April 23rd on Zoom. This month's book is The Little Book of Common Sense Investing by Jack Bogle, the founder of the investing platform Vanguard. I will admit I am finding this book a little dry, but even if you find that you can't finish it because of that, please attend the book club anyway. I love seeing people's faces because during this podcast, I never actually get to see anybody who's listening. To find links to the book and that Zoom, visit artisticfinance.com slash book club. A reminder that you have one week left to enter to win prizes for last month's book, to win travel mugs, notepads, or a session in the previs station of the Sovereign Candle Collective. All you need to do is go to Instagram and like Sovereign Candle, Utopia Dreamscape, and Artistic Finance, and then comment on one of those pages what your favorite part of last month's book was. Before we get back to the show, I want to mention our Patreon page. If you're finding value in the work that we're doing here at Artistic Finance, you can join up as a patron. Our exciting news this month is that our patron Dennis Size upped his monthly contribution. Thank you, Dennis. Now, all patrons get early releases of episodes and a private podcast feed. And this week, patrons have access to the survey results. I created a workbook for the survey results, and that includes a list and links to the insurance providers, and that is attached to this episode on Patreon. If you're a magician and you're listening and you want access to that workbook without becoming a patron, you can always access any of the bonus material from any episode by emailing me directly at artisticfinancepodcast at gmail.com and just asking for what you want. But if you want to access it without that hassle, you can sign up as a patron and throw a few dollars my way, and you do that at patreon.com slash artisticfinance. And now, back to the show. How long do these policies last? Are the, the policies for one, one event, um, or is it year annual? You know, every year you have to subscribe, and then you're good for another 365 days. So um, the 300 ish price, that's for an annual policy. So it would 
cover you for a year from your start date. We do have single event coverage, which will run, it'll cover one event that runs for anywhere from one day to 10 days. And that's 140 for the option one coverage. And then what's nice about that is say you're, you booked an event and you don't know if you're going to be booking in another event, anytime within the next 30 days from that single event policy starting, you can give us a call and upgrade that to annual coverage just by paying the price difference. Okay. Is that 140 for either one day or 10 days? Same price? Yes. Mm-hmm. It's just one event. Okay. So if you have that cabaret where you say, okay, well, I'm going to pay 140 to just do it this one time because they're going to pay me $150. So I'm going to pay 140 <laughs> <laughs> to do that. Um, then let's say you book another one the next weekend. Then you can call and say, hey, I want to pay the rest of it and get the full year. Yep. Mm-hmm. You just have to do it within 30 days. Okay. That's, that's super cool. All right. Well, I've only heard good things about specialty insurance, but I'm just curious, <laughs> have you had any sort of major lawsuits or uh, negative reviews from people who are using your insurance or just things that have really gone wrong? And specifically, I'm just thinking, <laughs> I've seen online like videos of where people do their, they put the nail in the paper bag trick and then it goes wrong. And I figure that has to be a claim, right? <laughs> like, like, I hope these videos are fake, but man, they look really real. <laughs> so I'm just curious, like, what are, do you have any horror stories? As far as like reviews so far, we have all five star reviews on Google. Knock on wood. I'm afraid to say that because somebody's going to come out of the word work and just hate us. Um, but our, what's really nice is like our clients usually love us. They, we, they, they call us. They need something. We answer the phone, which you wouldn't believe is a hard thing to get people in this industry to do. And we get them what they need. They seem to really appreciate the fact that we don't ghost them. And that we show up for them and we're always there when they need us. As far as horror stories, we've never been sued. Knock on wood again. Um, <laughs> that sounds like just a lot of drama I don't want to deal with. I'm very much a by the book type person. I try to adhere to all the laws I know about. I'm super conscientious of all of that thing just because I am so afraid of being getting in trouble for something. I think though. Biggest nightmare is when a huge claim comes in because it's always super scary because not that, okay, is this going to be covered or whatever? That's fine. You buy insurance for a reason. You buy it to make sure you're financially safe in a freak accident. But when there a huge claim comes in, we get a little nervous, like, what's the carrier going to think? Are they going to think we're too risky now? Are they not going to renew our policy next year? If they don't renew our policy next year, then we have 10,000 performers across the United States that aren't going to have coverage. And we don't have a business anymore. So it's a really big deal that people try to be safe so that we can keep this thing going so that we can make sure everybody still has coverage. And that I can still employ eight people and still have this business going. I'm also wondering, like when I had car insurance, they would say, okay, you can get a discount if you take this driving class, something like that. And they, and all insurances, they sort of like send things to be like, oh, it's that time of year again, where this starts to happen. Here's some, here's some basic safety things to keep in mind, blah, blah, blah. And all the, all the performers that I've worked with have always been very safe. 
Actually, that's not true. <laughs> but for the most part, 99% of performers and anybody working in the entertainment industry that I know of is very safe. Like safety is just number one, you know, like it's not, it's not hard to be safe. But that being said, do you as the insurance, are you covering people knowing that they're professionals and they know what they're doing? Or do you offer like safety classes or anything extra from specialty insurance to sort of help out performers? We have safety tips for fire performers, you know, and we've, we have a newsletter and we're, we should start doing, that's actually a really good idea. Like having like a little safety tip in the newsletter. Like I love Lynn's, Lynn's thing where she has like pads for her aerial rig. That's a super great tip, right? So we're always looking for content that's actually engaging because it's insurance and it's boring. (laughs) 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 But otherwise we usually, um, refer people to actual professionals to get training on safety. I'm not a fire performer. I have no business telling people how to do that safely. All right. So this next section is just because I try to provide value to people listening. And I will say that when I started looking into liability insurance, at least for lighting, I realized like, I don't, there's not much out there and you can't just Google it. And chat GPT didn't really help me. I just want to go over some of the survey results of people mentioned. I said, you know, where did you get your insurance? So I just, you know, I know your specialty insurance and I don't want you, I'm not, I'm not, none of us are endorsing any of these other companies or anything, but I just realized there wasn't a lot of options out there. And so I just want to go through these and see which of these do we think, oh, this might be a good option or maybe not this one. <laughs> um, so, and this is the part where I can cut anything out. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, so so for example, somebody said they got theirs through Thimble. Um, do you know of Thimble? I have never heard of Thimble. Okay, so I went to Thimble.com, and Lynn has neither heard of Thimble. No. Um, I went to Thimble.com, and basically like it's an online insurance store, and you type in what you need, and then it connects you to a company. I found it sort of very generic, and I think you'd have to be careful getting to the right coverage. Um, I think it's definitely possible through that interface but it seems like a little bit of work like because they they cover like lots of things and so you'd have to get to the performer i don't think they could do lighting Um, but anyway but somebody had found coverage through there for performer ryanspecialty.com have you ever heard of this (laughs) okay i went to the website and i actually didn't find it because somebody had linked me to it specifically they said okay link so i went to the link and it said not active anymore for the performer insurance so I don't actually know that Ryan Specialty is around anymore, but somebody uses them for coverage. MFE Insurance. <laughs> no, I yeah, none of these. Okay, see this? okay. MFE. I'm going to type this one in because I don't... Oh, it is an insurance brokerage. Entertainment, cannabis, business, bar, restaurant, nightclub, life and health, drone, technology, esports, and home. Okay, so they have entertainment and they also have nightclub, which I don't know if there's connection there, but... Anyway, I'm just pointing that out. All right, we haven't heard of them, but somebody uses them somewhere for their policy. Reef and Associates in New York City. Have we ever heard of these people? No. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. Okay, I know, I know I told you guys not to endorse anyone, but okay, you've at least heard of them. <laughs> I feel no. like I've heard of some of these when I was looking for teaching insurance. Like, I think some of these names have come up in my search for teaching insurance and studio insurance. But performers, I'm like, there's only one spot. So I haven't, I never went down the rabbit hole. Also, now I'm wondering if Thimble actually eventually gets back to specialty insurance, like if it loops back. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Okay. And also this is where we're talking about cutting things out because I don't think I'm allowed to say this. 
The person who pointed out Reef and Associates in New York City, they say they do not recommend them. So I don't know if that's an unhappy customer or what, but I'm just saying that. So they exist. And I went to their website, but I don't want to recommend them. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> We've had clients leave um, for, you know, $10 less coverage that they've found. And then the next year they come back. Uh, there was one magician that I talked to. I don't know where these people were insured. I'm not saying anything bad about anybody in particular, but he called me and he still had a few months left on his policy, but he really needed a certificate and he could not get a hold of the agency that was insuring him. He had been trying for weeks to call them and email them and he didn't get anything. And there are some companies where we've tried to get quotes as market research to kind of see what our competitors are doing. And it's like they won't even respond to emails, just general emails about coverage. So I encourage everybody to shop for the best coverage that they can find. I think what you need to think about is ask the people, ask the company, reach out to them. Don't just read the Internet, see what it says on their website give them a call. Do they pick up the phone? If you have to leave a voicemail, a lot of these places are small businesses. So you might have to leave a voicemail because it might be on the phone with somebody else. But if you leave a voicemail, will they return your call? If you email them, will they email you back within a day? Look online, but also contact the company and see if they respond to you. Because we've had people get burned and buy insurance online and then nobody responds to them when they actually need something. I mean, that's a small point you made earlier, which is, you know, we pick up the phone. I mean, we're even talking today. Yes, it's because specialty insurance became came highly rated and everybody was saying specialty insurance. But also I reached out to you and you responded. And like Thimble is just like an online portal to a bunch of other carriers, etc. And so it's like, yes, you can get the insurance through there if you click on all the right things and you set it up correctly but then once there's a claim, it's like, well, then you have to go back. Did you actually get the right policy? And then two, how do you actually get a hold of your people? And th this relates to a previous episode that we did on life insurance. And we had a life insurance broker. And he was saying, you know, the important thing is to get it. But also, you know, going through a broker gives you the most options and you have somebody who can answer questions, which is like a really, really important thing when you actually have to deal with something. Yeah. You want if you have a claim, you want somebody that'll answer your phone calls or your emails. Or if you need a certificate for performers, it happens a lot where last minute you need a certificate in order to set up your gear in a space that you didn't realize you needed. It's like very important that it's a fast turnaround, you know, and that you can get in touch with somebody to get a copy of that certificate. Otherwise, you can't work. And also talking about certificate, I assume that just means here's a piece of paper that says we insure you and that you are covered at the venue that you're going to. Yeah, it's adding um, the venue onto your insurance. So if you're like, say you're working at, I don't know, US Bank Stadium or something, US Bank Stadium wants to be named on your insurance. That way, if there is a claim related to something you did, US Bank's insurance doesn't have to pay out, your insurance will. And we have people working seven days a week watching for rush requests. I mean, we're not online, like just waiting, but I have somebody checking on Saturdays for rush insurance processing. I personally check Sundays a couple times a day for any rush applications. Lynn and um, another employee looks for rush certificate requests on the weekends. Like we just, we try the best we can to make sure people get what they need because we know that a lot of the times, like 
it's not the performer's fault. The venue will be like, oh, wait, we need your insurance like an hour before they're supposed to be there. Okay. Also, I said nice things about brokers, um, <laughs> but then here's feedback from the survey responding to where they get insurance through a broker. But I'll add that they're terrible and misappropriating a policy meant for studios to use for independent artists and coaches without a fixed address of worry. So it's messy. So to me, that just sounds like the broker isn't the problem. It's or maybe the broker is the problem in that they have the wrong broker. Like they have a broker that's making it work for them so that they can have the policy, but they would be better off finding a different policy. Yeah. All right, then back to the International Brotherhood of Magicians. Quote from earlier, the International Brotherhood of Magicians offers a package. I turn it down every year because specialty insurance is the best. So I actually went and looked into the International Brotherhood of Magicians to see what their policy was. I can't remember the price of it. They probably didn't quote it, but it it seemed fine. But clearly specialty insurance is better and more customizable um, because the Brotherhood had it through a a different carrier. So I don't know if they're directly going to, to that carrier but anyway, but I'm also just saying it because it is an option, um, especially for if you're a magician. I think it's best that everybody looks into all the options and just to make sure what's best for them. Well, and I'm going to be honest, I'm covering all of them right here. Like I'm not <laughs> <laughs> like we all think that's a joke and I'm exaggerating. But honestly, if you're a circus performer in the United States, these are your options. So you're welcome, everyone. I've done it for you. Um, <laughs> next insurance. This is the last one. Next insurance. Have we ever heard of them? I have heard of Next Insurance. I cannot figure out what is going on with Next Insurance. I've gone and done the application online, and it just seems really vague as what it's been covered. And I've tried to reach out and reach somebody, and I was just, I was unsuccessful. I have seen it. I don't know much about it. Okay. Yeah, because I was going to say the person that has it from the survey say that they pay $17 a month for an individual policy. But I don't know what they do and what kind of policy that is. That comes out to 204 each year, which is slightly less than specialty. <laughs> but I don't know what it is. I couldn't find anything about what was covered. Like I didn't know like what the exclusions were. I didn't know like you can you can check certain things that you do, but I wasn't sure like if each of those was 17 a month or at, it was just, it was just kind of weird. And then I'm pretty sure something else happened and I walked away and then finished doing the market research. Um, okay. So that's all the options that I was able to full, uh, pull from Googling and, or from people responding to the survey. And I will just say this, like, you know, I have no dog in this fight. I'm not a performer. I don't need this insurance. Um, I'm just covering this for, for other people. But I will say that the respondents, I'll keep everyone anonymous, but the respondents that use specialty insurance are professional magicians and maybe one or two that I would call amateur, but I wouldn't say that to their face. (laughs) 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 Um, So all I'm saying is you guys are certainly the real deal. I'm not not giving you a plug, but, you know, people use you that I know. If I needed it, I would start with you. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Lynn, I want to talk about the teaching insurance and maybe Inland Marine. So I'm just curious, like what all the insurances you have. I had individual teaching insurance. Um, oh, it was a nightmare. Cause then speaking of insurance companies doing weird things, like 
I was applying as an aerial instructor and there's like height limits and it would be like, how high are your students going? And then all of a sudden they put like an exclusion in when I looked at the policy, I think I actually sent it to Heather to help me like look at it. And then it like said in the exclusion that it didn't cover aerial arts, but that was what I was applying to teach. Teaching insurance has been very difficult. It makes me really grateful for performers insurance being so straightforward because people get crazy quotes. Like sometimes it's a quote of like 10,000 a year and then sometimes it's like 300 and you're not quite sure. So when I went into business um, about a year and a half ago, I partnered up and we went into a much bigger space and we have our our studio insurance through Front Row Insurance, it's called, and it's actually through the American Circus Educators. Um, It's called AC. It's an organization that helps circus educators and kind of has a safety. And there is, if you're a member of that organization, you get a discount, but it's basically you don't pay the brokerage fee. It's not a discount on the insurance. The broker, it's just like a brokerage, a discount on the brokerage fee. Um, If you, you know, it's like $200 discount if you get the $200 a year membership. So it kind of all balances out. But that's been pretty helpful um, because they don't have as many restrictions on height. That is where I get it. There is other places. It's hard to remember all the names. I've looked at, gone down so many rabbit holes. And some of the issues with some of them too, when I was trying to get quotes was response like people not responding. And that happened a lot. And so in some regards, we are with the policy we're at because it's semi in our annual price range and they respond like it's like baseline. Um, And we get our studio in Limerine through that. We pay more than we get the rider on that studio insurance. Um, But the studio insurance is very much address based. It's only for that address. And also, and also, I, if you're going to teach, would that be better for like a performance? Because it's more, it's like, to me, that's like, if going to teach a workshop is almost more like an event. Yeah, it's not. It's not covered under the same thing. So if I go, um, like if I travel, a lot of times if I travel and do a show, I'll maybe teach a workshop at a local studio. I need two separate insurances for that. There's the performing side and then there's the teaching side. And they're really, they're very separate. Our insurance does have some options for if a student, if we do a student showcase somewhere else, we can work with our studio insurance to have our students covered for some of those events if we, but we have to kind of talk to them on a case by case basis. Got it. Okay. And going back to the rabbit hole, you've said you've gone down many rabbit holes to sort of find out if something is coverage or not. And then even a, a policy that you applied for is saying we don't cover the people you know, we don't, you yeah, know, the purchased. name at the top of this policy is not something we cover. Um, you know, not to toot my own horn, but going down all these rabbit holes for these insurance companies, it's sort of like if on the surface they don't cover it, they're probably not going to cover it, even if you get a hold of somebody. Not to boast about what we're doing here, but I'm probably, if, if you listen to this episode, I'm saving you six hours of your life looking at insurance policies in your state, in your area, trying to find it when we all know we're going to go back to specialty insurance or one of the couple other ones we mentioned. <laughs> um, right. <laughs> it's confusing. I'm not even looking like I'm I'm not even looking very far. And after, you know, 10 minutes on a website or something, I realize you know, they're not going to cover it. Even if I get a hold of somebody like here, it's it's saying all these things. So and I think that's the issue with the teaching is it's just like not clear, like, because there's like pole studios and there's dance and then there's like, you'll be like, do you cover this? And they're really vague. As I said, I actually purchased a policy and then turned out there was some weird exclusion about it and, you know, that they never brought up to my attention when I was applying. 
So the teaching I find to be a lot more um, difficult and confusing. Luckily, the performing has been pretty straightforward. You say you're an aerialist, they say no, or they say yes. Yeah, I think that person that was talking about a brokerage that's misappropriating a policy, I sort of think that's a common thing. It's like you don't want to mess around taking a policy that's not meant for this and applying it to this. Like you just don't just don't do that. It's just just a world of pain for everyone, even if you're going to save $100, which I doubt in those situations you are saving any money. Um, okay, Heather, somebody said this, and I just want your response from it. Many policies disappeared over the pandemic in the entertainment industry and rates were hiked grievously on some policies still available so that they could make their money back, in quotes, so they could make their money back, as though we would suddenly be earning eight times as much as pre-pandemic. So we're having a hard time getting reasonably priced coverage. I don't know any of the details, you know, maybe they're not a performer or something like that. But can you just give your thoughts on that? Yeah, I have heard of some of our competitors did go out of business in the pandemic. And that was because people weren't buying insurance. So if you have a master policy, which is what most of most of us do for insuring performers, and you the carrier isn't collecting any premium, how are they going to pay the claims for those few people that are insured? By law, carriers have to fund an account to pay claims, right? And so they take your premiums and they put it into, they put at least part of it into this account and they have to fund, I, I'm not a carrier, um, so I don't know what how much they have to put in, but they have to have kind of this pot of money to pay future claims out of. If they aren't collecting premiums to fill that pot of money, then the alternative is to cancel the program because they, they're not collecting enough to fund this account to pay claims, or they have to hike the rates so that they are collecting enough money to fill that pot. So we did see a rate increase in 2021, which we, I always try to fight with the carrier about rate increases. And then they come back, they want it raised this much. And I'm like, no, what about this much? And then we always come back in the middle. They claimed during 2021, that was the reasoning. You know, we had, we don't have as many, we're not collecting as many premiums. We got to fund this account, whatever. So I think our, I don't know how much it went up. It's usually like around $5 a year um, when we do have a rate increase. And then last year, again, for 2022, we had another rate increase and their reasoning that year, because I was like, we haven't had any losses. Our loss ratio is great. Why are we trying to increase these claims? These people are trying to recover from the pandemic financially and I don't know if I'm going to be able to sell another rate increase. And then their reasoning last year was that the costs for court costs were increasing dramatically, like the time that you have to wait and court fees and payouts and inflation and all of this stuff. So I think it went up again, a few dollars. It wasn't a ton, but then this year we're flat. There's no increase this year for our, base policy, which we're super, super excited about. Cha-ching. Amazing. Okay. <laughs> and now <laughs> I have a question because uh, some of our listeners are not in the United States. It was very clear on the specialty insurance website that this only applies for people in the United States. So uh, do either of you know, if you're a performer outside of the United States looking for insurance, it, can you help them at all? 
I don't know anything about foreign markets. I wish I did, especially Canada, because there's a ton of circus performers that are having a really hard time finding coverage. My mom actually helped the company that used to insure performers in Canada set up their policy. She told them how she got it started, and then they were able to do the same thing. However, I believe they lost their policy during the pandemic because of it's called the law of large numbers in insurance. You need to have the large group to reduce your risk, blah, blah, blah. We have a lot of Canadians coming to us looking for insurance, but you have to have a U.S. address to be insured by us. So we insure performances in Canada, U.S.-owned territories, and then across the United States. But you have to be live in the U.S. to have that coverage. Got it. And they couldn't fake it. They couldn't, I couldn't give them my address. And they use it on their policy, even though they're living in Canada. That would be bad, right? We do try to research. Yeah, that's called misrepresentation on your insurance application. And if we find out, then you can lead to immediate cancellation. Yeah, of course. That makes sense. Okay, so I was going to ask Lynn this question, but maybe maybe Heather just sort of answered it, which is, how does insurance change when you perform outside the USA, if you perform outside the USA? Yeah, I don't perform outside the USA much. Um, I know that under my coverage, I can get a certificate in Canada if I am performing in Canada, but I have to have a U.S. address to have the insurance. Um, but I haven't had to, I haven't run into it. And so Heather, you mentioned there's a bunch of places that I guess you do cover. So for everybody that has insurance with you, they can go perform in Canada, Puerto Rico, U.S. territories, but not in France? No, mm-mm. we wouldn't cover. I mean, they can go perform in France, but we're not going to cover a claim in France. Yeah. And I think it's a lot about, it just depends, like everybody's licensed for a certain territory. So I think that's where it comes from. We cover people on cruise ships in international waters, as long as they're leaving from the U.S. and returning to the U.S. That what, Like just in the policy, they don't have to have a special policy for that. No. Mm-mm. Okay. All right. Well, this has been super awesome. Is there anything about insurance that we haven't talked about, touched on um, before we wrap up? Fraud. Like, don't be a fraud. Don't fake a certificate. If we find out that you faked a certificate, we'll never cover you again. We do run into that from time to time. But other than that, I don't know. Give us a call if you have any questions. Wait. Okay. So you actually have people that like fake a certificate or say they have a certificate from you when they don't actually. Yeah. Yeah. They'll get a hold. They'll either use an old certificate that they had in the past and then they'll edit it to make it look like they have current coverage or they'll get one of their friend's certificates and edit that. But the venues will send it to us. And if they don't get it directly from us, they send it to us and they're like, is this legit? And then we find out that we look at it and we're like, no, that's not legit. They do not have coverage. This is a fraudulent certificate. And then we have to report them to the insurance commissioner for insurance fraud. And there's a whole drama that's just, ugh. and then we, we won't ever cover that person ever again, if that happens, which is kind of a problem if you're an aerialist, because there's nobody else. I don't think that'll insure an aerialist. So then that goes, there goes your career. I don't know. So I probably had some of the survey respondents that have done that, hence them not being with specialty insurance. <laughs> <laughs> just kidding. I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> Okay. No, I actually, I'm glad you brought that up because um, it's to me, it sounds like that's why you were stressing the point of we give our certificate. We're always on the lookout for people who need certificates right away because you don't want anybody to be thinking, oh, well, they're closed for the weekend and I need to perform tonight. 
So I just have to fake this to make it happen. Don't do that. Yeah. Don't, don't fake it. Just, just submit a request online and then shoot us an email that you have a rush request. And it'll be like, Oh, like I'm on my phone a lot. <laughs> my husband's really annoyed by it. And if I see a rush request, somebody emails us. It's like, I have a rush request. Can you please help? I'll be like, yeah, sure. Give me a second. So to wrap up, what is one piece of financial advice that you can give to somebody who's looking for a policy? I always tell other people to not wait to get their insurance um, until they need it. Like if they know they're going to be performing throughout the year, sometimes you can time your annual fee at a time when you have more money or you can plan ahead then. If you know like every year my policy renews in August, then I can like take and plan for that ahead of time so I don't feel like I'm incurring this huge cost for one gig. Like it just becomes a part of my annual budget for my business the same as I would for a costume or makeup or a trapeze or a silk. That's always kind of my advice is not to like wait until like this absolute last minute when you need it, but to kind of just have it be a part of your annual cost of doing business because then it doesn't feel like such a financial burden. Um, and you can kind of plan ahead then every year and kind of know what your what your expenses are. So that's usually mine to my students or to myself even, the way that I look at it. Yeah, I like that. Tie it to the point in the year where you're probably going to be have as much income as you're ever going to have <laughs> or at least plan it so you can like put away a little bit at each time like your taxes similar to Lynn if you plan ahead you can mail us a check and then you'll save the credit card processing fee which you know can it's 3.25% so if you want to mail a paper check then you'll save all of that money but you have to give us time to have the check be delivered with the U.S. Postal Service. It can take a while right now. Give us a little bit of time. And if you plan in advance, you can save on that fee. All right. So both of you, I'll start with Heather. Where can people find out more about you? And who do you want connecting with you? Most of our information is on our website, specialtyinsuranceagency.com. We are launching a new website. And so the look and feel is going to change. And then our new insurance program is going to actually be on our main website. It's not right now. The one that covers um, event planners, lighting designers, bands, that kind of thing. Amazing. Uh, Lynn, where can people get a hold of you? Uh, my studio is called Stomping Ground Studio. Um, it's in Minneapolis. I'm on Instagram, Stomping Ground Studio. And then also um, at Lynn Lunny, you can find me um, on Instagram, but through the studio is best. Awesome. Of course. And uh, links for all of this will also be in the show notes as always. Okay. This is a bonus question that you don't have to ask, but I'm just throwing it out there because I do it just for fun. Uh, is there a question that either of you would like to ask me? What do you do lighting design for? Like what kind of shows do you do? Great question. So I'm mostly theater and specifically musical theater, but I'm based in New York City. Uh, so I do a lot of off, off, off Broadway uh, I've assisted on some Broadway. What I call my day job is television news. So Bloomberg and CNN and a play accounting firm called PricewaterhouseCoopers that has a couple studios. So yeah, so that's that's what I do. Um, and then I guess I know magicians because I toured as a lighting director for uh, Masters of Illusion live for a couple years here and there. So that's my only connection to the circus and the performing. What Has there any ever been anything really weird that happened with a lighting design gig that you've done? Like anything strange? 
Okay, that's a terrible answer, but no, I don't think so. <laughs> that's good. Like, I Nobody's mean, like, had like a seizure or anything in, a, in an audience. Or... Well, I'll, I'll cut this part out. But recently, I did do this production where there was a storm sequence. So I, of course, in lighting, I have to like look at it. So we're in tech and I'm lighting it. And um, it's a really close space. So, you know, everyone's there and I'm here. I'm strobing just constantly. And somebody says, can you stop strobing? <laughs> and I said, I can stop strobing. So I stopped. And then they said, I have like, not epilepsy, but it was something where it's like, I can't be around strobing. And so, but I was sitting there doing my job and I was like, well, the storm sequence has to happen. And yes, in the actual performance, it'll just be like a little blip in time. But when I'm teching it, it's going to be 15 minutes of flashing. And so I didn't know what else to say. So I just said, well, I think you need to remove yourself from this situation because like I can't stop working. Um, and so I don't know how weird that was. And they, so of course they left, right? But I was like, how strange that somebody asked me like to stop, like I have to do the work. Like I can't. <laughs> so, so that was just the most like recent weird thing that happened. It was sort of like, I just never had that happen before. Like, can you stop lighting? I can, but I have to do it at some point. <laughs> Can, right. <laughs> See, that's really interesting to me because I don't know anything about light. I know a lot about circus. I know a lot, like the things that we ensure, I know a lot about like the risks and stuff involved with that, but I don't know anything about lighting even because we just started ensuring that. So lighting can be very specific for circus performers and very specific for um, magicians. But I will say one thing that surprised me with lighting aerialists and people moving their body all over the place is that they actually sometimes appreciate like side light, stuff like this, like light that normal performers are like blind, but like they go to turn and walk in the wind, wing and they're like, ah, there's light shining. But actually I've noticed that circus performers actually like all those lights because I think they're using them as reference points. Sometimes where I've been like changing the light and then they'll come back and they'll say, hey, you had this light on because I'm like, oh, I turned it off because I don't need it, etc. And they'll be like, oh, can you turn this light on so that I can use it as like a reference point, which just is an interesting thing for for circus lighting. Yeah, that's really interesting. Yeah, it's, that makes sense. All right. OK, so both of you, thank you so much for, you know, I'm sorry I went longer than an hour. I hope that's totally cool. <laughs> um but thank you. I, le I learned so much and I appreciate having people that actually do this, actually use this. So thank you. Yeah. Thanks for having us. Yeah. Thanks for reaching out. That's it for this week's episode. My takeaways are that insurance is affordable. Cost isn't really a reason why a performer wouldn't have an annual policy. There are limited options for insurance coverage for magicians and circus performers. Even talking with Heather and Lynn at Specialty Insurance, I found that they don't even know other providers out there. And finally, getting a certificate of insurance is something that many venues are going to require, which means if you're a performer and you're listening to this, you've probably had to provide your certificate of insurance to a venue. That means you should keep an eye out in contracts when they mention you, the performer, need to provide them with a certificate. Getting that taken care of earlier than later is going to make for a smoother performing experience. So what did you think of today's episode? Did you enjoy it? Did you find it informative? Let me know out on the socials, pretty much anywhere at Artistic Finance. If you want to hear our other magic-themed episodes, visit the YouTube link in the show notes, and it will take you to a playlist for all the Artistic Finance episodes that had magicians on them. Now, remember earlier when I mentioned our patron Dennis Size had upped his Patreon contribution, 
He also left us a review on Apple Podcasts, which means that we have now tied our sister podcast, Light Talk, with the number of Apple Podcast reviews that we have. Thank you to Dennis for tying us up. A challenge to anybody listening who hasn't left us an Apple Podcast rating or review, please do so as you could put us ahead of Light Talk. To leave a review, just find Artistic Finance on Apple Podcasts, scroll down to the bottom of the episode list, and you'll see Ratings and Review. Merely tap a star rating, and that's it. It can take you less than 30 seconds. However, if you don't have 30 seconds to spare, and if you're listening to this show, you likely work in the entertainment industry and you actually don't have 30 seconds to spare. But if you're busy and you still want to help keep this show on the air, please consider becoming a patron. You can join for a month or a year and you can cancel at any time. Now remember this week, patrons have access to the workbook that includes the insurance survey results. To access that, join up as a patron by visiting patreon.com slash artisticfinance. That's it for today. Have a magical rest of your week, and until next time, break a leg.